Hey guys, welcome to episode 48 of the JV Club. I am recording this intro from San Francisco, still here looking towards the third and final weekend of SF Sketch Fest. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you, I am exhausted. That is certainly true. I can only imagine how my partners and the rest of our staff feel. Um, We are so lucky to have such an extraordinary group of people working on this festival. I think it has been, I'm going to categorize it as a smash hit. Uh, so far this year, and I'm really excited about our final weekend. I will have the chance to be a guest on Walking the Room with Greg Barrett and Dave Anthony on Thursday, which is the day this podcast episode comes out. So when you guys listen to this tonight, listen, I'm assuming you crack this episode open the day it airs. For those of you who are catching up, I mean, you're wildly out of date. By the time you guys listen to this, I will have already done Walking the Room with Greg Barron and, and Dave Anthony. Uh, but I'm very excited about that. And then on a Saturday night doing theme park improv um, with my improv group, uh, very, very excited to see all those guys. That show is sold out. And then uh, a Burning Love panel on Sunday, which I think might also be sold out. But if not, and you're listening to this, Give her a whirl. Try come come see the show. That's a a really really cool panel of people uh, from both uh, series one and two of or seasons one and two of Burning Love. Um, before I get into shout outs, I just wanted to explain really quickly that this episode with Lynn Shea was one that I recorded, uh, quite a long time ago. Um, it is before I started doing MASH. You'll actually hear me make a reference to, uh, June Raphael, and, uh, that should give you an indication of how long ago it was that I recorded this episode. So don't be surprised if you don't hear any of the games you've come to know and hopefully love. Um, but, uh, Lynn has really led an extraordinary life. She's been in a ton of great movies. Some of my favorites, there's something about Mary and Kingpin. Um, She's also done some really fine dramatic acting. I'm sure you'll recognize her if you look at her picture on the Nerdist page or on our Facebook page. And she's just a really amazing woman. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, And then I also wanted to uh, give shout outs. I guess I promised that moments ago. Here we go. Nissa M via email. Veronica C via email. Via the Facebook page. uh, Joshana Jenny S, Aaron S, Jamie M, Deborah, Georgie, Karen B, and Aida on the Twitter. On the Twitter. These are shoutouts from on the Twitter. Andy R, Zexy, Katz Meow, um, Megan C, Maria Josella, or Josela. I'm listen, I'm not sure Maria, but this is definitely a shout out, so enjoy it. Cassidy Alice, Stephanie G, Ken F, Lou, Mrs. Davenport, and Sylvia R. And then I just wanted to also quickly say that the um live podcast with Tignataro that happened last Saturday was one of my favorite experiences on a stage ever in my life. I cannot thank Tig enough for doing it. I'm so excited to release the episode. I think it's really, really, really great. And the audience was absolutely terrific. Um, I also want to give very special shout outs to Gabe, who came from out of town to see the show and uh, several other Sketchfest shows. And he also made some very cool JV Club pins. And I still have some buttons left. So if anybody wants a button, um, just uh, you know, send me an, a message on the Facebook page and I'll I'll uh, get them out to you. They're really, really cute. Um, and then uh, Russell came and gave me a, a Lucy Maud Montgomery first edition book. Um, I'm still completely stunned and so honored to have received. And then my own Victoria Eden, who runs our JV Club uh, podcast Twitter account, um, 
was there in person and it was such a joy to get to meet her in person. So um, what a great experience, guys. And I, again, I look forward to releasing the episode. I think it's going to come out next week, possibly the week after, but probably next week. Okay, guys, without further ado, I will give you Lynche. Now entering Nerdist.com. Here with one of my heroes. Her name is Lynn Shay, and she is uh, an actress that you have seen in so many things. It's almost silly to start listing them off. I think we can probably acknowledge that there's something about Mary is sort of one of the most ubiquitous in terms of like a huge movie and a hugely memorable character. But you were also in Kingpin. Right. Um, you were in Insidious, um, and you have the chops to do absolute crazy comedy and then really really subtle serious dramatic performances as well thank you janet and you've been doing this for um quite some time uh with much success well you know success is a relative word (laughs) um i have been doing it a really long time um I've always loved it. I never knew it was a real profession until I finished college, and I thought, what am I going to do with myself? And I was an art history major at University of Michigan, and I thought, well, I could go work in a museum, and and I was always in theater there, and always in theater in high school. As a matter of fact, we just had a high school reunion, and someone sent me photographs of our high school auditorium. Um, It's Mumford High School in Detroit, which is being torn down. It was always called the Pink and Blue School. And that's a tragedy for me because it was like this deco, really amazing building. Um, And when I saw the pictures, it was crazy because I did get a little twinge of those were some of my first early, you know, theatrical uh, endeavors. Um, Mr. Matthews was my, what was his first name? I can't think of it. Earl Matthews. Earl Matthews. Um, This handsome um, guy with sort of a gray salt and pepper crew cut who we all had crushes on. And he was our, our sort of acting coach and, um, and directed a lot of the plays. And uh, it was a great memory to see those photos. I, I was surprised of uh, my emotional reaction, oh, actually. I bet. I bet. So it's been, a, I have been doing this um, if, to be, to, to spill the beans. I got my equity card in. Uh, at the Chelsea Theater Center in New York City in 1971. So it's been 40 years this year oh my <laughs> that gosh. I became a professional actor. And um, I did go to, uh, after Michigan, I enrolled at Columbia University in their theater arts department, which they, was just a new department at the time. And it was a fabulous experience. It was three years of nonstop theater school. Actually, I had forgotten. I was also um, accepted to NYU. And I, you know how you always remember the things you didn't get into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I actually found my acceptance letter the other day that hey. I think my dad had saved for me in this little file. I was looking for some stuff. And I thought, oh, yeah. It's wow. not too late, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too late. Maybe I better start. Maybe I better go. <laughs> Dust that off and head on back to NAU. But um, anyway, so. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to Mumford uh, for a second, to Mumford High and, uh, and Detroit. And so you, 
tell me just a little bit about your family, if you don't mind. Um, um, what was it like and who, who, who'd you have? Who did I have? Who'd you have? Um, we always lived, I grew up in the house I lived in all my life until I went to college. So that was a, a, a wonderful house. I lived on Fairfield, which was in sort of the northwest section of Detroit. Um, it wasn't really a suburb yet, but it was a residential area, a beautiful tree lined with elm trees, actually. The whole street was like this cathedral of elm trees, which unfortunately caught elm disease over the course of the time I lived Aww. there, and they were all cut down. And I remember how how terrifying it was to have the sun pouring in on everybody because we always had this beautiful shady street. It was a beautiful home. My mom was a homemaker. She she was, uh, and my dad was in the wholesale grocery business. Um, but also, um, both my parents, when I think about it, were real artists in their own right. Um, my mom uh, had a great sense of personal style and nice. a beautiful home. Um, that was not, it wasn't like an expensive kind of home. It was more just very tasteful. And she was a real, she loved the fact that she was a true lady. She was um, originally born in Russia and came to this country oh, wow. at 13 years old, put into the first grade at 13 years old, <gasps> not speaking a word of English. Whoa. And she, I remember she used to tell me her knees, she couldn't even get her knees under the desk because it was made for kids that were six you know, wow. and seven years old. And she graduated from high school at 17 years old, speaking perfect English. She never had a trace of an accent um, and became and was apparently like this wild typist and got a job as a social worker in the Detroit uh, social, you know, I guess the... um, Sociology. What, what would you call it? So the social work system, right? The social <laughs> work system. I guess that is what it would yeah. you mean, um, would call it. And um, she, uh, and then she met my father shortly when she was, I guess, in her. My dad was twenty five. She was twenty three. And um, she had a wild, she was wildly in love with my dad. There's wonderful, great stories from my mom, Mm. um, who I've been thinking of often lately with a lot of emotion. Um, And you showed me some beautiful photos of her as we were looking at photos together. Yeah, maybe that's why I've been looking, I've been kind of searching for some things the last couple of weeks and have found some fabulous photographs that really trace sort of a lot of her history. Um, and which is this part of my history, obviously. Sure. Um, but anyway, she was, um, she, when she married my dad, he was uh, a young, he had graduated from law school at 21 years of age. I had some smart parents, I'll I tell you. I guess so. I have big shoes to fill. That's I, I never <laughs> feel, I feel like they were, they really were both very, very smart in everything they did, really. Um, uh, but my mom, so she, she gave up working pretty much when they got married. My dad and his two brothers and father had a small uh, wholesale grocery business called Gross Point Quality Foods. And, um, and uh, they, as traditional uh, at that time, you know, it was two years later, they, my mother got pregnant with my brother. And uh, five, four and a half years later after that, she had me. And so we were sort of the classic um, 50s family. Nuclear really. family, yeah. yeah. And uh, did, every, did, oh, I was just going to say, did you get along with your brother? My brother was the classic older brother. He he was so mean to me, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but is and I always wanted to be around him. Of course, that was the problem. Oh. Is that I tagged after him, and there weren't a lot of kids in our neighborhood. We lived in a. Um, 
it, it just there were not very many children which led me to spending a lot of time by myself. Mm. And I sometimes think had to do with my early uh, desire to be an actor. Sure. I, I spent a lot of time in my room by myself, and I would try on all the clothes in my closet. I would empty my whole closet on the floor <laughs> and make up stories with my animals, my stuffed animals and my dolls. Yeah. And, um, and act them out. We, I had these two long mirrors on French doors in my bedroom. Where it was like a big open uh, closet with two doors that opened. And I vividly remember um, just making up stories, and it would be like a serial. Like at the end of the day, I would put the cl- I would put throw all the clothes back on the floor, <laughs> much to my mother's chagrin. And um, but I would sort of pick up the next day where I left off, and um, so I think that was that was kind of my early beginnings yeah. of, of theater in a way. Oh, it absolutely was. There's no question about it. And and then so in school. I know you did it in high school. Did you do it? Were there were there good arts classes when you were really young, or was it something that became available to you in in high school? I, there was nothing that was. It was just yeah. you know we just have, curriculum. You know, I was, as typical of most kids. You know, my first part was as an Indian in the uh, Thanksgiving play where my mother brought me bought me a long sleeve brown turtleneck so I looked like I had dark <laughs> yep. skin and yeah. the little and the, <laughs> and the little the little band with the feather we got and of course I was sick and never got to do it anyway oh you did ask me a question I didn't answer which was about my brother um well you said that he was a classic older brother a, who kind of gave you a hard time and he had a locked uh top drawer to his desk that drove me wild oh I bet. I used to sit in his room when he wasn't there just looking at the drawer <laughs> And I, so and I knew, great. and I mean, I knew I'd never get in there. But honest, honestly, I would just sit there and sort of like just sit and look at it because I knew there was something in there that, that I must want. You. Did you ever find out what was in there? Um, I think he had a coin collection and probably some naked women. I mean, I guess <laughs> that's what I was getting at. Girls. Like the chances I mean, are probably there might have been one or two. But I think it was more the coin the coin collection he kept. But um, I never really asked him. I never really told him either. Yeah, <laughs> now you didn't knows. tell him that you just yeah. sat and fixated, <laughs> fixated on, on, the, this on the drawer. Um, so and and so, what was what were you like as a as a young teenager when you're 14 going into high school? What what paint, paint us a picture of what how what what was important to you and kind of how you fit into the social structure of the of the school did you have a ton of friends did you have um a few close friends were you lonely um i remember early, my early years at school i had just one friend my that was my best friend um and i didn't really have a lot of friends and i remember kind of befriending there was a, a i think she was mentally disabled actually and I loved her. I just thought she was the nicest person yeah. in the world, and everybody was mean to her. And I, I actually, this is something I, I feel good about to this day. I, I was really her friend. I was like her only friend, and her name was Pamela. And she always had these rosy, rosy cheeks, and she kind of had a slurred speech. She didn't really speak very well, mm-hmm. and she didn't do well in school. You know, she was always failing stuff and everything. It's crazy when you think about that that they didn't do anything to try to really help her. And there was always the popular kids, and I never felt I was part of that at all. By the time I was in eighth grade, uh, it was a little clubbier. I remember sort of, I, but I always felt on the outside. I mean, no matter no matter what, and on some level, I still do. I, mean, I really <laughs> I feel the same way. It's like I I think that's something. I always think of myself 
on the outer edge of the circle. I never think of myself or have the desire to be in the middle of the circle. And that's something, people are different about that. I think yeah. there are people who really want to be in the middle and and uh, that's the way they have a sense of comfort and security. And mine is, uh, I, I think I always see myself alone. And for better or for worse, you know, um, maybe we all are alone really. And that's And I'm comfortable with that. And um, it wasn't in the eighth grade. I remember there was a club called the Coquettes. Oh, my. It was the premieres and the Coquettes. Oh, this is marvelous. Well, I wasn't in the premieres. Oh. I couldn't get in. <laughs> and it was just like something that the girls, that they yeah. themselves created. Yeah. It was just a little social circle. Like, I'm just going to put this into a Grease reference because it's fun. The Pink Ladies. Yeah. Got and it. So the premieres, I wasn't in. The Coquettes, we were sort of the second class. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're... I think the Coquettes, although they, I mean, you can't be first if the premieres are around. They've named themselves but as the first and best. We were not the popular girls. But the Coquettes sound more fun. Well, we weren't. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> we, we weren't. We were, second, we were the second, the second tier, basically. Oh, man. But, um, but I was a Coquette. And, um, and so what did you have to do to get into, I mean, it's so interesting because now, nowadays it feels like, or at least... And well, when I was in high school, there wasn't anything that specific of a hierarchy. It was like, unless you were a cheerleader, you know, you were a part of a school organized clique, you would maybe be called, you know, then then it's like, oh, you're a nerd. Oh, you're one of the popular girls or, oh, you're a stoner or whatever. But to actually take the time to say, we are this, this is our name, you can't join. And like, how did you become a coquette? What did it take? I I can't, you know, I actually don't remember. Did you kill a man? (laughs) What? I had to kill someone. <laughs> you had to kill someone. <laughs> no, we did. <laughs> I, I think. Um, I think. I think we started it. <laughs> I, gotcha. I think it was like it was like all of us were just like we're going to be the coquettes. It was kind of like a group of us. I remember, and I can say some of the names, but who knows? They're probably still out there. Oh, but there, I think Alice Fry, who is this really tall, thin. Gangly girl with braces, and, and she's probably gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous. That's, what, how, know, that's how it happens, right, right? Right. And there was, but we were, you know, because in the other club, in the premieres, were sort of all the really, really popular girls, mm-hmm. you know, with the p- corkscrew ponytails that were mm-hmm. perfect. There was um, a girl, she's, she's also, I'm sure she's out there, named Maxine Schwartz, who was the, she was sort of the most popular girl in the class, or at least that's what I thought. And she probably was, but she, it was mostly that hair. She had this perfect, like, black, shiny hair, um, and it was the corkscrew in her ponytail. Her and Judy Cohen had the two best corkscrews. The two best corkscrews. <laughs> and, um, and that was always a, a, a real bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't get my stupid hair to do it no matter what I did. I remember I'd twist it and twist it and twist it and twist it. Yeah. And actually, a corkscrew ponytail is really ugly when you think about it. <laughs> They are. But That's the best that, part of looking then. back was, and going, "Why was that a thing?" I mean, I look, I look at my my eighties hair with my with my crazy braces and my bright green eyeshadow, which I, is funny because, of course, today I was like, "I think I'm going to put on some bright green eyeshadow." Um, I've learned nothing. I've clearly learned nothing. Uh, I I made Lynn do a spit take when I described my uh, my green eyeshadow, but I had <laughs> like choked on my we're gonna, water. We can, you know what? We can edit all this out. We can edit all this out. I probably won't, but we can. 
Oh, people want to hear me cough. People want to hear you cough. It's the humanity, yeah, the humanity that attracts us all to each other. But, uh, but, but you know, I had like the, the really straight hair. I had the hair that wouldn't do anything either. And I had super straight hair, but I did manage to get the bangs into to the sort of the tidal right kind of. wave. But stick straight down and then a like awkwardly hairnet, curly, weird bundle at the top yeah. why who decided that was the way to go the corkscrew was gorgeous in comparison to Come what to i that. just described well then we also had the da which was for the tough girls oh which was um, and actually karen rogers who still lives here her name is karen star now and she's a, we're still friends i mean I, i've seen her she was my idol i mean she was she smoked and mm-hmm. she like wore a collar up, and she yeah. was like a, she was like a tough chick. What's the DA? What's his DA? The DA stand was for? like slick back at the sides, and like a the DA stands for duck's ass. <gasps> duck's so ass. I've like, heard duck tail, but I didn't no, know. It was like duck's ass. That's oh, what a DA that's was. Fabulous. And, so, and it was actually a, a guy's haircut. Yeah. And so they would slick back the sides and then point it in the back uh, and make like. And this like is in the fifties. Yeah. She had that. Yeah. What a badass. So she was a badass, but she was really cute. Everybody thought Karen was the... She still is. She's still, she's still a darling girl, and I, I can only call her a girl. I still can't call her a woman. Oh, I love it. Well, that's, what, that's so much about what this podcast is for me, is that I feel so the same as I did, and my relationships yeah. to women feel the same as they did then, and that's kind of how it developed, is like, wait a minute, we're all still... The, to still, me, that's still, when that's really when I started feeling like this is the person I am. Really started shaping itself when I was in high school, and and for better or for worse, so much of that just stuck. I mean, I'd love to say I'm older and wiser. I guess that's probably true, but you know, I don't think I felt that way though. I I honestly always was very uh, kind of self conscious, and um, all the way through high school, I never oh, you didn't really, clown around, no. Uh-uh. I was not But you at did all. do some not theater. You did, but you did a little bit of theater. You I did were theater, do- but I was yeah. not a clown by yeah. any. I was very... Uh, demure? Somewhat shy, shy, but not even demure. I was really... I kind of felt like an ugly duckling. And hmm. um, I remember I wore my hair straight back in a ponytail, and I had like little spit curls that oh, were really wow. weird. And... Um, and uh, when we graduated from grade school, because we only went kindergarten through eighth, and it was with the same kids all the way up. And then we went to Mumford, which was, you know, uh, ninth, ninth through 12th. And even in Mumford, I never, um, there was kind of a group, a group of, quote, us. But I, again, I always kind of felt on the periphery. And um, I honestly don't feel like I came into my own sometimes... Boy, I sometimes feel like it's very recent on some mm, levels. I love that too, it's, though. It's really true. I mean, I, uh, I've i always defined my... As much as I've considered myself a loner, I would somehow always define myself against other people. And I don't do that so much anymore as I did. And it took me many, 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 many years, really, to get there. I even married, married and yeah. I have a son and... Um, I kind of, I think that was part of the problem. I'm, I was always with guys who, um, I don't know, I was always kind of in a shadow. I always felt mm. like I was in the shadow of someone else. Mm. And uh, and I don't feel that anymore. I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of scary out there in the light. Sure, but I I, do, I just don't, and it's partly because you know right now I'm I sort of am doing my solo thing here, and it's it, and it's a wonderful time for me to be doing it. But I think it took me all these years to to really find that place. Um, I didn't particularly care for high school, and I wasn't particularly happy in high school. Yeah, 
I did never you, had a boyfriend. Uh, that was my next mm-hmm. question. No, no, never had a boyfriend. I always had a crush on We somebody. know you had a crush on your drama teacher. Yeah, I did, Mr. Matthews. But everybody loved Mr. Matthews. Um, and he, he, he was, I, boy, I hadn't thought about what? him. I hadn't thought about Mr. Matthews for a long time. But um, but but actually, I always kind of had, uh, it seems like I always had a crush on a guy who didn't like me back. I never <laughs> went to my senior prom. Yeah. I wasn't invited. <laughs> And I went with girlfriends. Yeah, well, we, it was kind of, we didn't, I don't think we did that then. It was yeah. like, you didn't have a date, sure, you didn't go. Sure. And um, I remember, this was so odd, there was a girl uh, who had me on the phone with her the whole time she was getting ready for the prom. Oh, no. And told, you know, she was putting on her nylons and putting on her dress. And, and I was like, oh, and what kind of, you know, are you, what, you wearing lipstick? I mean, it was like, it was sort of sad when you think about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but did she, do you think she was conscious of what she did? Was it? Or was she just sincerely like, I'm going, no, I need I think this she, friend no, to kind of walk sin- me through it. She was sincere. Yeah. I, I don't think she was trying to rub my nose in anything. Yeah. Um, and it was, but we weren't like, I remember, I, I don't know if I should say names because all these people are probably still that out is there in the world. entirely up yeah. to you. <laughs> but um, I always wonder kind of what happened to her. She was a little fat with <laughs> with, with freckles and kind of had. Oh, this is your chance yeah. to talk about <laughs> no, all of those people. I won't tell you who it is. But, um, you know, she's pretty, she again, you know, we all listen. What you were then has nothing to do with how you turn out as a, uh, you know, as an adult, really. I mean, yeah. your, your style changes, your sense of self changes. And yeah. How was your reunion? And you, I didn't you, go. I didn't oh, go. You to, didn't go. I did okay. go to, to a, a grade school reunion, though, oh, wow. a couple of years ago, which was crazy to go into my grade school, Hampton School, which was um, and. Uh, it smelled the same. It smells, oh, and I actually smell. went back to my old house, which I lived in till I was eighteen How years old. How was that? It's crazy. I'd been back there one other time with my brother, and it w- it it kind of left me because I dream about that house, and I still dream about my my room in that house and my backyard, and I dream about the basement, and. When we actually knocked on the door and this guy came to the door and we said, you know, we used to live here like 30-some years ago. And he says, well, come on in. The house seemed tiny of for one thing. Of course it did. Yeah, that happened to me too. And there were a lot of change. I mean, it was nothing like my mom had it. They had, uh, I mean, it was kind of a wreck actually. And mm. Even though it was a Tudor, beautiful Tudor house with um, slate roof, a really great house. A brick, you know, brick house with a slate roof. And... Um, uh, the backyard had had a gorgeous giant oak in it that was gone mm. and probably had died. I mean, it was an old, old, old tree. Um, my bedroom seemed like the sea. It was like used as a storage room. It was. It what a really, shame. But going down into the same, the same fixtures that my mother had, the same banister railing coming down the stairs, and the basement blew my mind it was the same wallpaper that that was like it was a mustard yellow wallpaper with black french poodles on it really that's so specific and it smelled the same linoleum and she he they hadn't even changed the floor and it smelled exactly like i remember there was a rec room in the basement where it was like a game room that we used to go in you know my mother would let us all go that was where the kids would go and, and um you know dance or whatever we were doing and that's really all we were doing was we were very mild. There was nothing, no, no nothing going on other yeah. than not even Karen Starr with her DA. Karen, oh, Karen, <laughs> Karen, Karen, I probably made out with guys, but I mean that it was very, very, truly, really innocent. I mean, I'm yeah. sure at least in 
in my where I grew up. I mean, that's not certainly it's not true everywhere, but um, but the smell, I, I it was like I felt like I was on a drug. Isn't I mean, I, I felt like something. I was on acid or something. Is there anything that makes us feel more strongly than an this old smell, like smell a familiar really, smell? This was I was Oof. both my brother and I. We were speak. We literally couldn't speak. We were we were just weeping. I mean, uncontrollably, both of us. And um, it was quite an experience because it's something you you very rarely get to revisit your dreams. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, and that was kind of weird when I went back to the high school, to the grade school reunion. I'm sorry I went. Mm. Because for me, some memories are better left memories. My very first love, which I have a picture of, which I'll show you. Oh, I would love to see it. um, That my brother took was my first kiss, literally. I have a picture of it. It was a fifth grade Valentine's Day party at my house, and this guy was my. I was so in love with him. I, he was my first, really first love, and he's kissing me on the cheek, and it, my my brother caught the caught the <gasps> shot. It sounds like a, a Valentine's it, it Day really card. Is. I mean, it's all, it was like from Life magazine. Yeah. It's a fantastic, fantastic photo. How amazing! Oh, did you see him at the grade school oh, reunion? Oh my goodness! It oh was my like God. a. I mean, I really it, it mm. kind of it, it, I, I've tried to erase the whole thing from my head because I those are such formative. I, I know what those I know what those kids fingernails look like. Mm. I remember how they smelled. I remember the texture of their skin. I, I think my memory is strongest almost from my grade school of any other time in my life. Interesting. And um, and I really I, I, it almost ruined it for me. Yeah. And I honestly I just kind of shut it all back out. I kind of pushed it out. Seeing the school was kind of cool, but not really. I mean, it was the same thing. I wanted to keep all those memories, real memories. Yeah. You know, like my, uh, the classrooms and how they, I mean, I, those are still dreams I have about those corridors and getting to class. And so um, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't fun for me. So I had no desire to go back to this other one either. I've never gone to any of my reunions either. Although I will say the people I've kept in touch with that are, that are still dear friends, they kind of just look the same to me. I, they're all, they all take great care of themselves and they all, I don't know when we're all going to slip, but so far so You'll good. Everybody. You'll never slip. Well, you should no. see Janet. Oh, She'll no. never slip. That is ridiculous because I was just about to say that to you, which is that I wish I had your physique. Oh, please. You are so strong. And I, I mean, like, this oh, is please. this is becoming, now this is like a boy's locker room right, thing. Gonna, like, dude, right. do you work out? Dude. Dude. What's say. up, dude? Do you work out? Like, you got like a beautiful, like beautifully toned arms and well, like. I, I've always, I've done yoga for many years. That's, that's the truth. That's what it is. Is you have a yoga I body, a, and I've also got genetics. You know, it's how you're. Although yeah. not like my mom, I, I, my mother and I were built completely different. She had very thin little legs. She was tiny though. Also, she was like five feet one or whatever. And how tall are you? Five three. Mm-hmm. And my dad was six feet, six feet one. And he, um, and he, he had a when he was younger was a really extremely handsome, unbelievably beautiful guy. And um, he had a fantastic body i mean just in terms of definition and i think i got that from my dad you know it's really but if you don't but again you got to sort of take care of it it's falling apart now but oh well (laughs) it's funny because i love well first of all no but second of all i think i got my dad's feet it's just so funny when you look down i mean (laughs) it's funny when you're a girl and you notice like weird physical qualities about yeah that i and i look much more like my dad than i do my mom and the older i get the more I associate looking like him because I'm getting to the age that he was when I was, you know what I mean? Like when I was a kid and it's a little, 
I mean, Dad, I'm sure you're listening to this and I love you and you're very handsome, but it is weird when you look like your father because then I start thinking of myself as like, oh, I just look like a guy. I look like <laughs> Phil. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> um, you just see, you know, you, you kind of pick apart and see and isolate all those features. Well, it's I funny. looked more like my dad. I always look like my dad. My brother looks exactly like my mother. But as I've gotten older and more life experience i started i start to look exactly like my mom so it's it's a real combo of the two but, yeah um, that's true for me too i have to say but i feel like i look more like my mother now than i than i ever did and uh and i just you know i don't know <laughs> um if you don't mind i would love to go back because i think a lot of women feel this way and i have felt this way i think what you said was just so striking about the idea of of choosing men or being with men who whose shadows a little bit you end up feeling in and i just think that's pervasive still um i think we're we're social i mean i was sort of programmed pretty mm-hmm. much that and my mother, who was a very independent woman in many ways, you know, sort of listening to the description of her as a little girl being able to really get through that trauma of being a, a, a pubescent adolescent at 13 and being put with six-year-olds, how humiliating and not understanding a word around you. I can't And even learning English yeah. in four years, perfect. I mean, like she, and I'm telling you, you never, she spoke English exactly the way I speak English, That's probably amazing. better. Had a fabulous vocabulary. She read a lot. She was, um, but she was a classic uh, and, and she was very independent in many ways of my dad. And she was a real fighter for things. Um, but it, but there was also the sort of sociological tradition of you are the woman and he is the man and you do what he says. And she relied on my dad totally for, for you know, just many, many, many things. Um, I think she relied on him more less emotionally than some women do. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, listen, she had her own issues too, which we certainly won't go into here, but mm-hmm. um, things that she struggled with. With her, her mom came, they came from Russia when, if my mom was 13 years old, her mother was a young woman and mm-hmm. also never learned English, um, you know, ma- and married an older, um, it, 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 there's a, a tradition in the Jewish religion which I was unaware of, but my mother's mother's sister was married to a, a man in, in Detroit. I still don't know how they got to Detroit. I have no idea. I've been trying to figure that out forever. Huh. Why everybody came to Detroit? Yeah. Yeah. But they were there and someone brought them there. So, um, but so my, my mother's mother's sister passed away and it was in the Jewish tradition. If your sister's, has died, it's your responsibility, if you can, to marry her husband. Yes. So she married um, this older man who was like 25 or so that years she, older. And, that, and who she, and she knew as being her sister's husband. husband. And she didn't really oh, so know him very well. And he was a very stern, very Ooh. cold man. Very different, according to my mother, than her real father, who had died in Russia. My, my real grandfather um, passed away you know, he died actually of the flu epidemic wow. in Russia. Wow! Um, my mother lost two brothers and a, her dad to oh, oh one to sunstroke in the army, and oh the other two gosh. to the flu epidemic. So, um, but so my my fun-loving grandmother, who I never met, but who my mother adored and talked about f- frequently when I was little, um, ended up marrying this very stern sort of old man, and 
my mother wanted to be a real American lady. That was like her goal, and she achieved it. Yeah. And so um, she did all the things that like a, a, a American lady would do. You know, she was always very well dressed. She made a lot of her own clothes, and um, and uh, was really. I mean, some of the things the outfits were just unbelievable. You know, little hats, and I mean, she, she she was fantastic at all that. But I think that in the core of things, you were the woman, and he's the man, and he makes the decisions, and you follow pretty much what he tells you it's the old way of doing it yeah and i think you know that residual effect still is there and so i have always i kind of always put myself to the side a bit and and was always and then was always a little bit angry Mm. um because i was giving in to situations that i really maybe didn't want to give into but i felt it was but I relinquished. It's like I didn't. It wasn't worth fighting for. It wasn't worth whatever. And you know what? Sometimes I still feel that way. I, I, I mean, it depends on what it is. But, but, um, because yeah. I'm just gonna say. I mean, I think I'm gonna. I hate to interrupt you, but I'm going to say what I think the listener is probably. I love that I say the listener like it's there's one person and it's a robot. Uh, the listener. Um, I mean, the, what I, what I think is fascinating about this to me is that when I think about your performances. You know, they're so fearless and you're not afraid to be hilarious and over the top and fierce and, you know, powerful. And it's just, I'm just, it's so amazing. Let me tell you about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Acting for me is the one, probably the only profession I could do. The way I feel about it is this, and I've always felt this way. It's the safest place to tell the truth Mm. that you can have. I can't tell the truth in real life the way I can tell the truth on on stage or on camera because I'm in a safe environment and I'm allowed to go as deep and as far and as creative and as crazy whatever thread, you know, something leads me to in in terms of defining a character Um, where in real life you're going to be have uh, repercussions. There's going to be consequences for Mm -hmm. the way you behave. In theater or in acting, your consequences are the reaction you're going to get from your partner, which are which is fabulous. That's what people want. They want you to challenge their character. They want you to, you know, the old fashioned, um, the old fashioned thing about acting, which is what do you want? What you know? What's the obstacle? What's the objective? What do you want the other? Per- what do you want from the other person? They won't give you. How do you get it? What do you do to get it? Sure. That all those things are. You can go to the nth degree in 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 acting, and it's the it's tre- it's a treasure. It's a treasure for me because it's really where I can explore my deepest self and my yeah. deepest truth. I feel like safely. Do you feel like you see you can kind of look back and see the parallels or reflections of what was going on in your personal life, and maybe things that you were not able to take on in your emotional and personal life that you were able to kind of work through in with a particular job like do you think of it that way do you sort of look back and go oh when I was making that movie or when I did that play I mean sometimes I think that there were times where I I often become a reflection of who I'm with yeah and um it's so exciting at first right when you I mean I I mean just in terms of like when 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 you're excited about someone and then you and you want to kind of but but aren't you? I mean, I like myself better with certain people than I do with other. For people. sure, no. And question I don't know what that it. is because it's not. It's still me. But there's certain people that draw out 
the best side of me and there's certain people that draw out the worst side of me. Yeah. And I think, you know, depending on how you're feeling about yourself, you're attracted to people that bring out the worst in you sometimes because you're you're not set you're unhappy in yourself and you can say oh see what a jerk i am God, you're so see right. what a jerk i how look what an a- asshole yeah, i am you know you're so right and and so it, it confirms your negative beliefs about yourself but when you have when you're in a good in a good sphere and it's all out there i mean it, it, the good and the bad is like it's around us all the time i always say to people you know, if you walk around looking at your feet, that's what you're going to see is your mm. shoes, you know. And if you p- hold your head up and you just look out, God, you don't even know what you're going to see, you know. And, and fabulous. And there's a lot of scary stuff to look at. But there's also some really great stuff to look at. And that's where you, I think, grow as a person. You know, it's uh, we all, you have to leave your safe, your safe place. And you have to have the courage to love yourself. Because you should. Because why shouldn't you? Yeah. And pe- and if someone told you you shouldn't, they're wrong. <laughs> oh. I mean, that's for sure. Yeah. That's a hundred. And le- you might be doing bad things. You and, probably would do them less if you loved yourself you more. You probably would do. Yeah. You probably, you know, it's like kids that vie for your attention by being little, you know, jerks. I mean, they're. Yeah. And you, you, you know, and. And it's because they, I mean, listen, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but it just makes sense that. The more it's like a a circular Mm -hmm. thing when Mm -hmm. you look out and you see new things come in, new things in yourself come forward and you have more courage to go out and um, to go back to the thing with with choosing bad, you know, bad, not bad men, but people that um, you chose live in their shadow. It's like that. I always reflecting their personalities or their needs or their. Yeah. And I felt that was very, you know, I was um, with my wonderful husband and he was, we're not married anymore, but he, we learned a tremendous amount from each other, but it was ended up not being the right thing for either of us finally. And you were married once before that, right? Or once you, before that yeah. for, for um, a very short, for only a year and a half. My husband was, he was killed in a motorcycle accident in San Francisco. That was a classic 1968 we were going to go see Janis Joplin in Golden oh, Gate Park. It was really, yeah, it was quite a, quite a. I'm trying to write something about it. I've actually started a, a little screenplay that I'm not sure where it's going to go, but I'm going to someday finish it up yeah. and let somebody maybe help me with it in terms of because sto- the story you still have to as a screenplay it's got to still have a, a good story, a first act, second act, and third yeah. act. No matter how emotional you feel about what it is, that's, it's still got to find mm-hmm. that. But. Um, yeah, his name was Marshall, and he was kind of the love of my life, I think. But he, we, we weren't doing good either. I mean, mm. we we got married at a, we had a psychedelic wedding. Oh, and this was, is awesome! Thank you so much for telling West us. West Haverstraw, this. New York, and we were married by um, uh, a psychedelic priest who actually, I mean, he was he could, he legally married us, but we also got married by a justice of the peace. Uh huh. Okay, when you say psychedelic wedding, let's give the, let's give the younger right, ladies the a younger, sense of what that right, would include. That, well, that's a pretty big. Because they're probably picturing Austin Powers right now. No. Well, (laughs) um, no, it was, um, everybody was pretty loaded. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But mostly just on, people smoked a lot of pot. Yeah. And took a fair amount of acid. I mean, I I was never, I'm way, I I can't do that much of any of it because I I fall asleep no matter what it is. So it's like no matter what it is, it's yeah. like, so. Um, but uh, 
this was... And uh, how old were you? I was 23. Okay. And Marshall, uh, I met him in college. He was, we, we did a play called Bye Bye Birdie together. Sure, He Bye played Bye Conrad Birdie. Birdie. Oh, this is gorgeous. And I played Ursula Merkel, the leader of the fan club. Oh, <laughs> this is great. And I seriously, he was this gawky geeky guy with he looked like buddy holly except a little homelier uh-huh. with kind of freckles and gla- big glasses and he was real skinny and he got this part because he played the guitar and actually could imitate elvis presley pretty good and suddenly he started working out and he got contact lenses and i just remember one day i walked into rehearsal <laughs> and it was like the classic like triple take yeah. i thought wow <laughs> that is wonderful and i completely fell head over heels in love with this guy and uh, i mean i was wild about him for two full years in college and it's really is a great story i don't know how much of it i should should reveal but um and then i went to europe when we graduated college and he went to alaska shrimp fishing and then came to england to meet me and oh my god it's just an epic romance already it was an epic romance it was a true epic romance and then we came back to detroit and we were living in sort of a commune in this crazy house and um in the inner city when the the riots were on our lawn. We had snipers on our lawn one night. That was that was awesome. Oh my insane. gosh! Yeah, it was crazy. But um, we and uh, that was we we got. But before we got married, um, we decided he was in school in social, also in social work school at at uh, in Detroit, and I was living in New York. I was in at Columbia. Yeah, and um, he would come visit, come visit, and we decided we were going to get married, and so we planned this wedding in upstate New York. Um, uh, Pre or post Woodstock? Where are we? It was, wow, 68. It was probably just pre-Woodstock, I think. And I'm going to call your wedding Woodstock 1 from now on, Woodstock. and Woodstock 2 was just, was the Woodstock <laughs> everyone knows. But you guys had Woodstock 1. This it was, was a wedding. Credit. This was, and Marshall was a, you know, he played the guitar, and I mean, we were all wild with all the great, there was the greatest music still ever then. Yeah. But so we decided to get married, and we weren't going to tell our families, and we were going to um, have our little private wedding up in, up, we were going to get a justice of the peace, and um, I borrowed this girl's Mexican wedding dress that had a big spot on it. <laughs> It was a little white. Doesn't matter, man. Dress, Doesn't right, matter. Right, right, right. It was like it was all good. My hair was really long down to my waist. And, oh wow! Um, and so Marshall. So we planned this. We were going to get married on Mother's Day. So suddenly, Marshall's mother decided to surprise us, and she said she was coming to New York for Mother's Day. And we thought, what the hell are we going to do? So we thought we got to invite her. We got to, We can't. We're not going to yeah. cancel the wedding. So then we thought we have to call my parents. Sure. So we actually. Call, my mother didn't stop crying. My mother. She didn't. No, she you was were so upset. It doesn't matter. Mm. She. They. There's so much more to this whole story, but it's way too long to get into. Um, but when I when you when the movie comes out, you'll see it. All. It is a movie. That's what <laughs> oh, I mean. It is like a movie. it definitely is. It's definitely a great story. It's, it's not even a movie. It's a miniseries because <laughs> we need we need time for each decade because so much amazing stuff was happening well, in that, your world. That is kind of true in, in in some respects. But anyway, so we realized we had to tell my parents. It was May twelfth. There was a freak snowstorm in Detroit. My parents couldn't get out. The plane was canceled. That is a freak snowstorm. It was, in it, was May. it was crazy. I mean, like a, a blizzard in in Detroit. Um, we went up to New York. Um, 
And uh, I remember I had a psychedelic sticker on my forehead and a dandelion necklace, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. And we were staying in this house and the the justice of the peace, the the psychedelic guy married us the night before. And the next day was the wedding with the justice of the peace to make it really legal. Yeah. And that was when my parents couldn't get there in time. And the justice of the peace couldn't wait for them because he was taking his mother to Marie Callender's for lunch. For Mother's Day, so he couldn't ah. wait, so they missed the wedding. Oh my gosh! And of course, Marshall and I did nothing but fight. I mean, it was like a horrible, insane, crazy day. Well. Yeah, it was really, it was really, um, it was, it was not so much fun actually. It was, yeah, it was fraught with all kinds of tension, and our parents were here. His mother was a mess, and my mother was a mess, and my brother was trying to calm everybody down oh. and trying to feel the 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 field the field. So, um, but, um, so, and we were married just for, we moved to San Francisco and, uh, I was working actually at the Metropolitan, at the, uh, San Francisco Museum of Art. I became the registrar, if you can Oh, okay. It. Okay. So the San Francisco Museum of Art, is that, I'm trying to think. It's it, the Contemporary Art the can, Museum. So was it, is it MoMA or is it, no, that's, it was pre-MoMA, pre-Museum of Modern Art. It, it's called the San Francisco Museum of Contemporary okay. Art. Okay. I'm trying to think if that's still. It, it's, of course, it is still. It, there. it does. Yeah, I've, I, I, I feel it, ridiculous. It a, I lived there for ten years, and I don't think I ever went to the Contemporary Art Museum. It, it was a fan, and they had fantastic photography exhibits. John Humphrey was his name. This guy who was the curator of photography. I did not know what a registrar was, and I applied since I had been an art history major at sure. University of Michigan. I when we when Marshall and I moved there. I applied, I, I sent three resumes. There was the de Young, the Contemporary sure. Art Museum, and there was one other one. And, they, and all three of them said, we're, we're not taking any new people, you know, just send us your application. And so I, I was almost going to take a job as a proofreader, which is the biggest joke on the planet, <laughs> because I don't know how to spell anything. <laughs> but I, they had offered me this weird job, and then I get this call from the um, the, the Museum of, of Contemporary Art and saying that there was the registrar's position had opened up. Was I interested? So I said, oh, sure. So I, I, I kind of just talked my way in. I mean, this woman, her name was Sue Foley. And I wonder if she's still out there because she was awesome. She was a curator and she interviewed me. She was this tall, kind of very wonderful, just a wonderful person. And she kind of just, we hit it off. I mean, I was such a baby. I was 23. I was like 12. I mean, I really was. I was Mm. just like such a baby. And um, she said, yeah, well, I think you'll be fine. I'll introduce you to, uh, to, to, um, Gerald Nordland was the God. I remember all these. You, names. I know. I was going to comment on that. You are unbelievable with and names. And Mr. Peterson ran the museum. He was this kind of sweet guy. And they all were. Kind, I kind of. In, they all were sort of endeared. I guess the fact that I, I really was. I was like a baby, even yeah. though I was twenty three. I bet you were super enthusiastic. I and, was super enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was true. And um, they said, "Yes, you'll be fine. Come tomorrow." I had no idea what a registrar did. I'm not Zero. even sure I know what a registrar oh, does. Oh my god. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> OMG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she all of a sudden opens up all these ledgers of insurance. Oh, and, my gosh. And incoming okay. and outgoing exhibits and Yikes. packing and things with the shipping. So you're basically running the museum. You are it, basically, yeah. you are responsible for all the paintings that come oh, in and out of the museum. Lynn. 
all the frill photographs, Whoa. all the sculpture with condition notes and 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 oh my god, and if an insurance if things get chipped or something's wrong or I mean it was a wild and big job. Yes. And um I kind of just figured, you know, I, I mean, Kathy, Kathy was my sort of co-worker. I can see these people clear as day. Um, Kathy was married to, I think, I don't think she had kids yet, but she also was kind of like, everybody was really young in the museum, pretty much. And um, so I, I, I worked that while Marshall was trying to be a rock and roller. He was writing music, and they had a band in Detroit called the Spike Drivers. Oh, I love it. Uh, which was actually a pretty good band. And um, It's a great name. Yeah, and it was, uh, they before Marshall got into it, the lead singer was Mary, Mary Carol Brown, and Sid Brown was her husband, who was the lead guitarist, and he was, he was really... I mean, he could really play. He was a serious... You can say he could shred. He could shred. He really could. <laughs> but they were a very interesting couple who we then lived with. Ugh, I mean, there's so much about all this. And, oh, my gosh. And then we lived with the with we lived with the bass player, with Sid and Mary Carroll, and the bass player's wife, and everybody, all they did was fight. I mean, it was a, a lot of fighting in the 60s because everybody was... Messed up. Was messed and, up. Yeah, not sleeping enough. <laughs> or, exactly. Yeah. And... and, yeah. and, and um, you know, but we were all macrobiotic. We were all eating. We were all eating a lot of brown rice and baking bread with seeds. Yep, and no, yep. no yeast. I mean, we'd have this bread that was like a rock. <laughs> Literally, you'd mix everything you could together, like oh. nine kinds of flour and seeds and millet and mullet and, and, yeah. and, and muesli. And just, <laughs> I don't even know what happened. Everything started with an M. Yep, the, yep. <laughs> and sunflower seeds. And just seeds have a and, basically like a... And water. And you mix it and you make like a, literally like a rock. You yeah. You put it in the oven and you bake it until it's so heavy right oh it, it yeah it would weigh like eight pounds you take this thing and then you cut it really thin and put tamari on it oh yes it was really yes. good but boy did you you know it was quite a diet that's your your uh <laughs> forget about being regular i was gonna say <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> every five minutes regular anyway, and then some and then some but oh, um, that's great! So that was part of that adventure, and I forgot what the question was. <laughs> Honestly, we were talking about Marshall, but that was all fantastic, yeah. and we don't have to go into specifics on on your loss and 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 any of that. It was a, I, I mean, I, I, I can, it was a very simple, odd one of those experiences where he asked me to go. He had a motorcycle, a BMW, that. We drove everywhere. We actually we actually drove it once from Detroit to to uh, Boston. I mean, I, you know, we lived on that bike, and everybody was always, you know, your parents, of course, are always it was a beautiful big BMW, a six fifty, I guess it was, and um, so we were living in this house with uh, this is going to be in this in the story with this other couple. This wasn't with Sid and Mary Carroll. That was in Detroit. But when we came to California, we lived with this other couple. I don't remember what they did. They had a little baby uh, who was like two or three who never stopped crying. I just remember that, this little kid. And um, uh, Marshall was going to see his cousin who who lived in San Francisco. And I was going to go. And then well, I didn't go because we were supposed I was making moccasins. Lynn, I know stop it's really, it. it is truly, truly almost silly. Stop it's so it. classic. I was making a pair of moccasins. And I, said, <laughs> I, I, I wanted it. to finish the moccasins. So Marshall went by himself. And, um, you know, I would have been on the back of the bike. I mean, God, that's the other Lynn. thing. And it got hit by a little truck. It, it was a very crazy. He wasn't going fast. No helmets. 
yeah. no one wore helmets then. Yeah. And if he had worn a helmet, he would not have died. There's a, for sure. I mean, it was he hit his head. And Guys, I hope you're listening it, because yeah. that is still true. If you are out there riding a bicycle or a motorcycle without a helmet, you I'm really sorry, gotta, but you need to put one on. Well, I mean, it's a law to wear it. Yeah. Now you can't even, you know, you, you'll get nailed completely. But, yeah. but, um, but people was, still do that on their bikes and it makes yeah, me crazy. Yeah, it's true. And this was really simple. He, there was a green light. Marshall was going through it and a car didn't see him and made a left turn, you know, was finishing up the turn and, and hit him. And uh, there was a lot of... There was it was a very, ex, just a complete. I, I can't even express to the, have everything change so abruptly. Yeah, and so I mean, it's so surreal. The so whole it's still surreal. surreal. I mean, it still feels surreal. Um, we didn't really get into where you met Clayton. I think you were get you were going to we, tell me that, but we decided that we would uh, truncate Di- it a little bit because yeah. because the, all the stories are so good and I, I can tell you um, we're going we might have to have a Lynn Shea part two because I have a feeling I'm going to get emails from people saying um, how dare you not tell me about her going to meet Jack Nicholson um, but <laughs> let's let's story. let's just so so but I, I met- thought we could get into just very briefly um, about about being a mom and sort of um, how what that experience was like for you and and as particularly with a teenage boy um, when it came to that, um, I never really wanted kids. I was never one of the, my mom always would talk about, you know, when you have kids and when you, cause that was very traditional, again, part of that whole traditional family unit. And that's what women did is get married and have children. And, um, and for, I mean, it wasn't that I didn't want kids. It was sort of the same thing. I never envisioned myself as a mom or as a mother. And when I met Clayton, um, we met actually at a theater company out here called the Los Angeles Theater Unit. It was kind of a very circuitous way that we we met each other. But a friend of his from Clayton was from upstate New York. There was a friend of his out here who was kind of this real go-getter, and he decided he was going to start a theater company, and um, he brought in some of his friends and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, and of course I was always, sure, let's do it, what should I do, how can I help, and blah, 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 blah. So I met Clayton um, at uh, the first meeting we had of the Los Angeles Theater Unit, um, and we ended up actually having a company for 10 years in downtown. We started out in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, the Embassy Hotel, which I don't know if that still exists, but they had a space that was a chapel. Mm-hmm. And we literally, or it was next door to a chapel. I can't remember exactly, but it was one of those. We turned it into a theater. We, you know, we brought paint and buckets and flats and love it and uh, curtains. And let's, you know, get, let's, what is it? Let's, let's get music and have a musical. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we wrote, and we wrote the first, um, the first piece we did was called American Gothic and it was very successful. We, it was all based on improv stuff we did. And Clayton and I played husband husband and wife, a 60s couple, so to speak. And um, we, like Clayton used to say, we went home to improv one day, and that was sort of the end of it. We we started seeing each other, and um, this was 1982. And um, we lived, we, we, sta- we dated, dated, went out, whatever. Um, and then we ended up moving in together, and we were together for six years, and um, and really never thought about getting married. And Clayton always talked about wanting kids. Mm-hmm. And he always had this this kind of fantasy of wanting two sons. And so I you know, was like, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we were at a Christmas party. And um, 
Clayton was talking to a friend of ours and said, yeah, so because she said, what are you doing New Year's? And he said, well, I thought we would probably go like to either Reno or Vegas and get married. And he's talking to her, not uh, to me. This is how you find yeah. out. And I'm kind of going, what the? Yeah. OMFG. <laughs> and I remember that her name was Claire. She kind of looked at me and I kind of looked at her and we were both like, what? Okay. And Claire said, I'm going to go get an hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> so she walked off and um, I didn't say another thing. And when we got back to the house, uh, you know, I asked him if he was serious and he said, he said, yeah, I kind of thought, because he was the one that had really, or not, no, both of us had just, we didn't really want to get married. And right. So we said, yeah, I was thinking about it. And I said, I remember I said, well, if you're asking me if we should, I don't know the answer. If you're asking me if I would, the answer is yes. Love it. And um, so we made plans. That goes in the screenplay. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's a great line. Um, And we, um, so we went to Reno, actually. We flew to Reno and we got married in one of the chapels on New Year's Eve. And... um, Clayton was talking about, he, he kept talking about, you know, uh, actually he was talking about getting pregnant before that. And maybe that was one of the reasons that he thought about getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him, I said, look, I said, I'm not going to be a science experiment because that's just not my thing. And I said, but if I'll give it six months and if I get pregnant, great. And if I don't, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. we're done. So he said, okay. And we had planned a trip to the Grand Canyon, a white water trip. And I had never rafted before. And Clayton was really into it. I had no idea what I was in for. Because, first of all, the Grand Canyon is the rapids go up to 10. It's usually oh my God, one through five. That's hardcore. This is one through 10. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yay. It, it was, and we, it was a private trip planned with, um, which I was thrilled to hear. A fireman was going. <laughs> helpful. That's <laughs> helpful. Good. I thought, good, there's going to be in a fireman. Is any, are we having doctors uh-huh. also? <laughs> <laughs> or lawyers? Is there a doctor's, <laughs> lawyers, fireman? Um, and then we had, uh, and there were a lot of uh, tour guys who had, were guides who were, you know, used to go down the, the river and uh, take groups. So I, I did feel pretty safe that we were with people yeah. that at least knew what they were doing. And uh, I remember asking this doctor if... Um, as I said, we're going on this really rough because Clayton said we're going to get pregnant on this trip, and I oh, said, "Yeah, right, okay, fine." Yeah. So then I said to the doctor, he said, um, "For fourteen days, the first fourteen days, you don't have to worry about anything." He said, "But starting day fifteen, that's the date the egg implants into the oh, uterus." Okay. And he said, "You really, that's when you need to take it a little bit easy mm-hmm. because if you're too active or the you know, and you're the, you can't you don't give the egg a chance." So um, we were actually away. 14 days to the day and I got pregnant the first night we were oh out. My not gosh. on the river we were in Superior Arizona we were on our way to Flagstaff yeah where I went and, to college <laughs> which is also a long story but I won't um, digress here um, <laughs> but anyway I ended up getting pregnant and day 15 and I knew I, I had a feeling I was pregnant interesting and even um, that or it's so amazing oh I it? had a feeling the first right the next oh, morning amazing I, I just I just everything I was dizzy and I couldn't stand up and and I thought no way and I, and I didn't even say anything to Clayton but anyway we got back to LA and uh, we had been renting a house um, and I took the test and I was pregnant so and it was day fifteen, literally. Wow! And um, I was an older mom. You can look on IMDb if you have to. <laughs> but I well, I won't. I don't have to be. I was forty four when I got pregnant. That's and, a, that's fantastic, and, and not that uncommon now. No, it's not. Yeah. Any, of course. But it, what was kind of uncommon is that I 
it was the first time we had ever tried to get that's pregnant. amazing and as and, you had said i'll give it six months yeah and everybody oh, was huh. like you know you can forget about yeah. it pretty much and actually we were very 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 lucky yeah. even now i yeah. you, you yes. know that you Agreed. don't and we you know i had the most wonderful pregnancy i loved being pregnant that's always I, good for me yeah, to hear oh i just loved it i loved everything about it I wasn't. I didn't have terrible morning sickness because I guess that's pretty debilitating. Yeah. Um, I had, but I had indigestion a lot, which they say sometimes means it's a boy, and I do have a son. But um, I didn't have. Um, it, it wasn't. I wasn't sick a lot. So, and I felt great. I mean, and I loved all the changes. And yeah, my mom did too. I have hope. It's really. I mean, don't let anybody scare you. You don't get fat. And you don't get. It's like just get over it. You know? <laughs> Enjoy what's going yeah, on. Yeah. It's a. It's truly. It is truly the the most miraculous of miracles. Still, and yeah. that that all happens. And watching um, the now the ultrasounds are so sophisticated. You know, they're almost like drawings. I mean, yeah. But I remember when I went to the doctor and they showed me um, the the lit. It's a pinpoint, literally. That that where the egg is started in the wow. where the sack is in the very beginning, and um, I was very. We did do a. We did a. Um, I did what they call a CV, CVS is it? I think it's called, which is an early detection. It wasn't the amnio, which is which is at five months already. Right. I was very clear that I, if something was wrong, I was not going to have the baby. Yeah. And I know that's a lot of people, you know, get very, that's a very controversial statement and a very controversial element of of pregnancy. But I know my own capacity. Yeah. Um, I believe that, you know, you, that you have the right to make the choice, most certainly. Um, it's your body. It's your life. And and fortunately, they have testing where you really can pretty much tell what's what's going on, and everything was normal. I did have one scare though. Um, I went to be tested for gestational diabetes, and uh, which is one of the things they test you for, and I came up through the roof, hmm. diabetic, and I thought, oh my god, well, what do I have to do? And it turns out the woman had given me twice the concentration. Oh, hello. <laughs> because it was so high. Did the it, woman yeah. said, let's do this one more time yeah. just to be sure because yeah. you are off the chart. Because <laughs> they give you like this Coca-Cola syrup to okay. drink or something. And she had given me literally twice the amount. <laughs> and it came Price back is averted. normal. Oh, God. So I, that was a big relief. And um, I had a... Um, I was very excited, and uh, even the delivery was pretty exciting. I, I was in labor a very long time because my son is what they call a sunny side up baby, uh-huh. which means he's head down, but he's lying on his back. Okay, and there's a turn like a baby dolphin that the that the that the baby makes yeah. at the end to kind of push itself yeah. out. It kind of spins out of the, which makes you dilate fully and you know be able to deliver the baby. Yeah. Well, this is a trait my son still has. <laughs> he just lay on his back waiting for somebody to get him. <laughs> and so I ended up with a C-section um, after three days of labor, Whoa. which was pretty intense. But you know what? You're on another planet. Right. It, it could have been 12 days for all I knew. I, right. I had no idea what was going on, period, by the end of everything. and You had, had a psychedelic birth in a way. I had a psychedelic birth. Just from the hormones. <laughs> but... Um, and uh, I had a thank you, a very healthy, beautiful little boy who was eight, eight pounds, I think eight pounds, half ounce. And um, 
And the best part of our marriage was when Lee was born. Um, I must say for Clayton, he was the best dad and the best husband I could ever, ever want or imagine. And um, it was really fun. But anyway, so um, I loved being a mom. Um, It's very mind and body altering. Um, I mean, the hormones is pretty intense. It is for everybody. I mean, it's... uh, I, I I was scared to leave the hospital. <laughs> I didn't remember that because yeah. I had never even held a newborn. I yeah. had no idea anything, yeah. anything. And that first night coming home with this baby is really out of this world. Literally, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what do we do now? Yeah. You know, and um, and they sort of are. It's a very demanding situation. I mm. won't sugarcoat it. It's you got to be ready to do it. You got to be very patient, and hopefully. A woman that does it alone with no partner, um, it wouldn't be something I would want to do. Yeah. Um, If you have to, you do, I suppose, you know, but um, there is something of the the bonding and the the value of that family unit, which still is a very important element in in sort of the the journey of life. I mean, things are so different now than it used to. Like when my mom, going back to what we talked about in the 50s, it's a family units are completely different than they used to be. The the blended family and the people with two marriages and four stepchildren and two fathers and six mothers. And, um, but this was really, we were really a very traditional family. My mom and dad stayed married their whole life. Um, and uh, I actually thought I would stay married my whole life. I was a lifer. I, mm-hmm. I had no... I, I, things sometimes get difficult because yeah. communication is difficult. Having a child is difficult in terms of the change it makes in your priorities and and in the way you um, interact with each other, too. Sure. Um, it's It takes a lot of flexibility and trust in your partner and I can't not emphasize enough communication. I, I mean, if you've never been a communicator before, you better become one with, when yeah. you have a child. Because nobody grows correctly if you don't. Not the kid, not you, not your marriage, not your husband. That You really, really... And I think the value of the partnership is really what becomes so essential at that point. Yeah. And because... It's it's hard to feel sexy. It's hard to feel focused. It's hard to feel. Um, it's hard to remember. Yeah, <laughs> mostly anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, except that the baby's crying, and what are we going to do? Sure. Or, but it is a wor- a tremendously worthwhile journey. I I feel like even though I never really wanted children, that my son has been the biggest part of my education as a as a woman um i've learned and grown more because of what i learned to have to do with him for him from him um than any other thing that could have there's nothing else that would have provided me with that and it's interesting that it's the ultimate selfish journey people think oh i can't give up my freedom i can't give up myself my you know and yeah we're all a little selfish whatever but the ultimate selfish thing is to have a child because that's how you really fulfill your own destiny i think on some level you really learn about yourself as a woman you learn about yourself as a friend you learn about yourself as an educator you learn about yourself as a communicator you learn about yourself as uh 
as 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 a as a person as a mom you really learn what that word means of nurturing and caring for somebody which then makes you care for yourself in a different way and it's really i can honestly say it's the it's probably the best thing i've ever done in my life and and i went in kicking and screaming pretty much and if you don't have kids hey there's a lot of ways to fulfill yourself in life. And I'm not saying you're any less of a woman or a, a complete person without children, because that's wrong. But for, I think that was your experience. But that was my experience. And, it, and for me in particular, who was such a baby and so afraid, I couldn't, I couldn't take care of something. I, I actually was full of fear of, of not having the ability to take care of something. I remember a dream I had. Of a baby, I had a baby, and the baby was transparent. You could see all its organs. Mm. I mean, this was really a crazy dream. And I remember trying to feed the baby, and I couldn't feed it, and it was crying and crying and hmm. crying. And the baby exploded in the oh, dream. No. Exploded. Oh, that's horrifying. It was a horrifying dream, and I, and I, but I'll and I'll never forget that dream. But it was really me being afraid. I mean, because they say your dreams, you can, you can. Uh, you can die, figure out your own dreams. No one can. T- you know what they mean. You just keep asking yourself enough questions about what it is, and you'll figure out the answer. Well, this was so perfectly clear. And I remember I got a little kitten that I'd never, uh, I had never thought I could take care of something. I picked out a little kitten from the pound, sort of. Which that's another long story, but it was like three inches long. I thought oh it was a God. rodent oh. that they had put in the cage for the kittens to oh, play with. No. Yeah, and I took this little thing home. It sat in my hand like a mouse. Whoa. And I nursed, I, I for six weeks, six times a day, I fed this little thing. I was like, I, it was like the most intensive experience I've ever had. And Caboodle, which was her name, lived to be 18 years old. Oh, and I did it, I did it. And I thought, what if she had died? Yeah. You know, would I, would I have had a child? So interesting. And I want to also add, um, and I can't, we've, we're, we've run out of time and I'm furious, but, um, <laughs> I also want to add that you are, you know, we've talked about all this and all this idea of, of running scared a little bit from, from the caregiving and stuff. And yet you have horses and you have dogs and you have cats yeah, and, and you have a son and right you're now. the ultimate caregiver yeah. and you're beloved by all of these creatures. Yeah. So you really came around to it. So for being, for some Someone who has that identification with what it like, what it's like to feel on the outside. Um, it's really hard not to see that you have that, but you also are so intrinsically tied to to all of these these creatures, that human and non-human, that are your family. Too. And I think it's when I was little, everything was done for me. I mean, I, I, you know, as I said, it wasn't about being rich and, you know, all that stuff. It was about, I mean, we were, we were comfortable. We were a comfortable family. My mom had, we had a, um, you know, we had a, a, um, was, she wasn't a nanny, but we had like a housekeeper who Mm -hmm. was there regularly. And, um, but I never was given any real responsibility. And that Mm -hmm. was where my parents fell down a, a little bit. And so consequently, I, I still don't know how to do it. <laughs> probably a lot of the things I, I and I and I have fear of new thing of trying to do something new some of the time mm-hmm. and it's only when I'm thrust into something or it's thrust upon me that I realize I can actually figure out how to do a mortgage and how to do well yeah you know, I mean it's like you have to you know you but until it's kind of pushed on you, you, you know, and you, you know, I'd rather somebody else do it to tell you the truth. Sure, but I, I now and the irony is now being on my own. I, nothing happens unless I do it. Nothing. Yeah. And so um, from being this person who was afraid to do stuff, um, 
I still, the, the sense of satisfaction you get of feeling like you've accomplished something and learned something is, yeah. is phenomenal. And, and I guess raising a child is the ultimate of that. Yeah. You know, Lynn Shay, you've been such an amazing guest. I, I really seriously wish that I had like a whole mini series <laughs> that I could do of Lynn Shay podcasts. Um, Thank you so much. You're so inspiring. Oh, you should see you should see who's sitting across from me, little oh, Jan. Oh gosh, um, I I was telling my I podcasted my friend June last week, and I said I'm I'm getting I'm getting nervous that people are just going to write in and say you're just brown nosing these women, but there's a reason that they're on the podcast, and it's because they're amazing. And um, guys, I'm not going to lie to you. This is a really great way for me to stay connected to them and be inspired by them and learn from them. So hopefully, you feel the same way, and you'll forgive me for uh, for being uh, so. Good gushy about people like Lynn Shea. But thanks for tuning in. And um, thanks for listening. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much, Lynn. And, uh, and, and uh, I always say we'll see you next time on the podcast. You won't see me at all. This is audio. Uh, please uh, enjoy all of Lynn's amazing work. And um, there will be much more to come. Okay, thanks. As always, the JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.